Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life Changing Money. I'm so excited. This is my first couples interview, and I'm interviewing Alicia and Maurice Pennington. They are amazing clients of ours and even more amazing entrepreneurs. So hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Hi, Barbara. So great to be here. Thank you. So I'll kind of let you guys introduce yourself, but um, we have a visionary integrator couple, it sounds like. So um, why don't you tell the listeners what you guys do? Yeah, sure. So um, technically, we, we, we started in our journey for business with Alicia in 2012. Uh, she started a staffing company for sports medicine professionals, athletic trainers. Um, that was what, 10 years ago now? 10 years ago. <laughs> right. Crazy. And uh, it's done incredibly well. And um, I started work. Well, I supported her the entire way, but she pulled me away from Apple in 26, the end of 2016. So basically 2017. Uh, and I'm now the VP of that com- of that company. And then as a result of, you know, the, the success, I guess, uh, of her company, we started not only having changes in our lives, which is in part why we're here to talk about, um, but people started to notice those changes and, and notice uh, how well we were doing. And so mm-hmm. a lot of questions about business came as a result of that. And then literally Alicia at first, and then slowly myself even started coaching other people, uh, really trying to help them understand finances a little bit as it relates to business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we have a uh, basically a consulting business called yeah. Pennington Perspective. Uh, and that's the thing that we join forces with my uh, integrator mind and her visionary mind uh, to try to support as many people as we can in, in really understanding the power of business and how it can be leveraged uh, to benefit not only your life, which I think is the, the most important element, but on top of that, the lives of other people that you're serving. Uh, which only just adds to that fulfillment piece of it. So uh, that is what we're doing now. We we, tell you, we still have the other business uh, yep. advantage. Uh, and then we just added this one on top of it at this point. Yeah. So Alicia, how did Advantage like come to be? Was it like you went to school and right out of school, you started a business or how was that transition? Yeah. So I have two science degrees. I... I found myself an entrepreneur and in business really out of necessity. I graduated with my master's in 2011 and the economy was still coming out of the Great Recession. There was not very many full-time jobs available. And so I started freelancing, which was not a popular work type in my profession. It's There are certain industries, photography, journalism, Um, where freelancing really makes sense. And this was before the gig economy. There was was no Uber, there was no Airbnb, none of that existed in 2012. And so it was really a pretty novel idea for a healthcare provider uh, to essentially just network with several clients, pick up work as needed, kind of on a gig basis. And as a result of doing that, 
I formed a network of clients who just needed sports medicine professionals on an event basis, as needed, tournament related. But then also some of my friends started looking around me saying, hey, I want to get connected to gigs like that. Or, you know, I'd love some weekend work. And so I kind of came to be known as that girl that you go to if you want some work. (laughs) And at the time, work was like what everybody wanted and everybody was looking for. And so I had an opportunity to professionalize that, to create an advocacy platform for representation of the sports medicine professionals to ask for, you know, what we needed when we showed up to those gigs, but then to put contracts in place and to have standard pay and, you know, some of the other things that come along with professionalization. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, I had an opportunity with the clients to educate them more about the specialty that we have as athletic trainers and the diversity that we have in serving their athletic population. And so it really grew uh, with its own momentum. It was very, it started out as a very selfish intention because I needed work, but it morphed into service-based and really trying to identify ways to better advocate and to better serve. And I truly think that that's why we had the success as quickly as we did, because it was rooted in, uh, it, it was rooted in serving. It wasn't rooted in money, but the money came and the money in our experience, it always takes care of itself when the intentions are aligned with serving. Yeah. And Maurice, you mentioned she dragged you out of Apple in 2016. So like, what did that look like? And how scared were you? (laughs) Um, I wasn't that scared. Like I said, I had been working with her on the company the entire time. So since 2012, when it started, basically I'd go to work. And then when I came home, we would work on her business. And then the same with her. She had another job also. So I wasn't really that scared. It was really about, okay, it needs to get to a certain point before we can make this jump. You know, Apple has uh, is known for having pretty darn good benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wasn't really willing to let that go straight away. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we had a soft place to land, right? So yeah. um, she was on my benefits at the time too. So yeah. it was also about like, oh, yeah. you know, making sure that we could transition and have all of that available for the employees too. So it basically was at the end of 2016 when that became a legitimate option. Mm-hmm. It, honestly, it was a financial decision. Mm-hmm. So he stayed at Apple and it was partially income-based, but it was all of the other perks that he's referring to. So health benefits uh, being a primary one at the time our business wasn't set up and couldn't afford to offer health benefits. And so having him provide that in the relationship made more sense. Uh, Retirement contributions, again, our business wasn't set up to accommodate that, provide that. Um, I had a solo 401k set up, but for, you know, the larger base of people working in the business, we couldn't afford to offer that. Um, and then the other piece of it was, you know, stock purchase plan and discounts and, you know, all the other things that come with working for a fortune 500 company. Yeah. But it got to a place where working for a corporation and 
specifically in retail at a corporation, was starting to divert away from what we wanted for our life. Um, one of the driving desires for us in being business owners was to have the time and the financial freedom. And getting each of those to line up took time, but it was getting to a place where I was having a lot of freedom within my schedule and time, but he was still not at Thanksgiving dinner because he had to be there for Black Friday sales or still not able to attend the friend's wedding because PTO didn't get approved. And so it got to a point for us where what is it costing us from a quality of life and from a livelihood standpoint? We've worked really hard to get the business to a place where it can support us, but now we are sacrificing in ways that is it worth the stock purchase plan? Is it worth um, you know some of these other things that we did value more highly originally? But when the business started being able to at least match its salary and then was able to offer health benefits, we kind of took a gamble of, well, the retirement piece isn't there yet, but how much do we value that for the next two years, three years? Um, and it, it was a financial decision between the two of us of what is that, what does that sacrifice, that immediate sacrifice look like now uh, financially in order to receive the, the time freedom benefits that we really feel like we had worked so hard for. Yeah, I think the, the also along with that, like, fiscal responsibility and fiscal intelligence also was increasing at that time. So trusting that uh, more, but also I had created a tool that we still leverage today and we use in our consulting and coaching also, uh, which we call the profitability calculator, which I had set up for her business um, prior to even being an employee, which was would allow us to kind of project out what to expect for the year, how much money is coming in, how much could we afford, bringing on employees, how does that impact uh, with everyone's state taxes and all that stuff. So we had a pretty good idea what this was going to look like before, you know, I made that leap, but she's absolutely right. There was a a huge part that was related to just time freedom that we both wanted to have that I didn't have, but she had because she was self-employed at that time. Uh, But I was still with a corporation. And so you're obviously got to play by their rules. Yeah. And how was it like, or is it still this day, like working together as a couple? I know a lot of our listeners would probably listen and be like, oh, heck no, I would never like (laughs) be with my spouse all day, every day. Or like, how did you guys sort all of those um, maybe issues or maybe you didn't have any issues, but how you sorted that out? We 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 have different styles, period. So I think anytime you get two human beings working on this, a similar project and they approach it differently, you butt heads, right? You have to learn how to work together. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, the, the beauty about Alicia is she brings people on when she realizes maybe this isn't a strength of mine. I need to bring someone on whose strength that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she allows all of us as employees to really focus on our zone of genius. And there isn't really a whole bunch of overlap. Um, Really where we work the most together is uh, in the higher level vision, right? So she'll say like, I wanna do this. And I'm the guy who's like in the details, well, how do we actually execute that? That's where we work really well together. And there isn't so much headbutting there. 
But yeah, if we were working on the same projects all the time, I think the same reaction <laughs> everyone else has, we probably have. And that's not so much because she's my wife as much as it is we're just so different in how we approach problem solving. I am a figure it out as much as possible before I start. She's a messy action. I'm just going to get started. And so those two things really don't work that well together. <laughs> but I think both of us are uh, very conscious or, or very proactive in trying to figure out better ways for us to grow and evolve as individuals. And mm -hmm. so that when I see that something's actually working for her, even though it isn't my style, I'm still willing to evolve and like take some of that. And I think the, the same can be said for her. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I'm the leader. Uh, I'm, you know, the CEO, the founder, whatever you want to call it, of the staffing company. For our consulting business, we are technically co-owners. But because I'm a visionary, I typically am the person who is leading the charge, if you will, on what comes next, what are we going to work towards? You know, I'm the one that's peeking around the corner of trends and things like that. I think from a leadership perspective, it's the same as any other workplace environment where there has to be role delineation. You know, you have to be willing to uh, not micromanage or to assign a project and, you know, put a deadline in place and wait for the deliverables to come back, even though the person working on it is right down the hallway from you. It's, it's kind of no different than, you know, being in a cubicle and sending an email over to someone on the other side of the partition. It's very similar in that sense that I have enough on my plate. I don't want to micromanage. I don't need to micromanage. And in addition, like we have very much figured out our workflows. I know what he needs from me in order to get started. I know what to expect back from him. That has taken a lot of practice. I think that there was a lot of friction on the communication side of things. And again, that is normal workplace environment things that you come upon when you have a coworker that communicates differently than you. You think that you said something clearly. They didn't pick it up that way. Um, there is, you know, obviously a little bit of the personal piece of it of, well, you're also my husband or, you know, my partner. And so for us to be very conscious of, you know, what we talked about at dinner last night isn't relevant to this conversation we're having at business this morning or vice versa. The conversation we had in the business this morning isn't relevant to the conversation I'm having with you at dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. There is a, a piece that's like boundaries and just kind of checking yourself to figure out, am I bringing in a personal piece of this to this professional conversation or am I bringing a professional piece of this conversation into this personal. Um, so I don't think that it's very much different than normal workplace environments, except that I go to sleep next to him at night as well. <laughs> no, and also I think we're very strategically aligned. So mm -hmm. that, that helps a lot. We, we both know we're on the same team and we're working towards the same goals. We may not approach them the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where the communication is, is very important in that is going to constantly evolve, right? Even now, there's things we could work on between each other where maybe I can communicate this a bit more effectively or uh, when this is done to make sure that I'm, you know, as each task is completed, I'm updating as opposed to waiting until the, the whole thing is done. Um, but I, I do think that the role delineation is a really important one. And even it's much more clear in Advantage, the staffing company, because from the jump, this is her company. 
I know that everybody knows that she's the boss there. She's never going to get any pushback from me on that. It, she's the boss. I do what I'm told. You know, she may <laughs> want ideas from me. She may want to hear stuff from me, but at the end of the day, it's her vision and her like It's her business. So she gets to say what direction we go. Mm -hmm. When it came to Pennington perspective, that's a little bit different. So we had to find ourselves in that because it's both of us. Mm -hmm. So if I want something to happen, I could technically push for that as hard as she wants to push for something to happen. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where the integrator and the, the visionary really, I think, even more so came into life and really just owning those roles. And I'm still like, I talk to her all the time. I say, just to further talk about how we're owning these roles. Like I, uh, this is going to get a little bit off track, but like I have a thing on my Instagram, my profile, and I say I'm a leading man in a supporting role. And I think that just, it's continuing to define that. Like I am in a supporting role. As much as I feel like I could be a star or a leading man, that's her. And that's what she does and she excels at. And I excel in the supporting role. I don't need to have the titles or the limelight or whatever to feel validated in what I do and what I provide. I know what I provide is valuable. So I can own that and step into that and let it be, or I can continue to fight myself so I can get this leading role, which for a long time in my life has been what it's been. So uh, I think really defining those roles has helped a lot um, to to make it easier, I guess, for us to uh, coexist in the same space while working towards a common goal. I love that. The leading man in a supporting role. That's good. Um, So is there like a hard stop at home of like, okay, no more business. Like, I know it's so hard. (laughs) I know. Because my brain never stops. And it comes out of my mouth the minute it appears in my head. Yeah. Um, Like I was literally awake at 430 this morning and all the ideas running through my head. And and it's it's (laughs) like that. Um, And again, like, so in addition to running businesses, we're also parents. We also are doing multiple home builds at the same time. So it's like everything just sort of like runs together, gets enmeshed with, you know, what's an investment opportunity? What's a business opportunity? What's, what do we need to get with the kid? What do we, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a ball that just keeps rolling, but the ball is a big wad of everything <laughs> in our lives. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so then let's chat about money. And if you could each share, like, how was money brought up when you were growing up or, maybe some money mindset things you heard growing up and then how you worked with that as a couple. Yeah. I'm going to let you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure why, but I I don't mind going first. Um, I, I mean, first and foremost, I think it's got to be made clear that both of us, but I'll speak about my experience first. We, We, I grew up pretty poor. Um, you know, with a single mother at first, uh, before my, my dad came around, um, my, so it, it was money was not seen as something a to be had. Um, it was just, you ask mom for something and it's yes or no, you can't have it. And that that's really it. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that she, I think she did a great job in shielding us from 
seeing ourselves as like poor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We just, I, we lived our life and she did the best she could. And she worked really, really hard. Um, I remember one time she, I found her like uh, crying and she had earned like this goal. She had this goal to make $70,000 in a year. Oh. And she had hit that goal that day. And so I realized how impactful things like that could be at that moment. Uh, but also, I don't think at the moment I realized how hard that may have been for her to, to get and achieve that goal. But now, being much older, I can truly un- understand and appreciate that at a much deeper level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my mom did the best that she could, but we didn't have a whole lot about money. And the, the what we did have was my mom said, you should always have savings, right? Don't spend all your money. Right. Make sure that you save some of that money because there's going to come a time when you need it. And if you don't have it, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. So that was really the context around money for me growing up. There wasn't really a, a lot there. Um, but I think one thing that happens when you don't have is when you start to earn money, which I started working when I was 16. When you start to get money, you have no idea how to manage it. Right. No idea how to keep it. Right. All you know how to do is spend it. That's the only thing you know how to do. So I got in a lot of trouble and I don't mean trouble like legal or anything like that. Just not having money because I would spend it as fast as it would come in mm-hmm. um, and on things that weren't even worth anything. You know, it's just you couldn't have it before. So now I'm going to buy it because I can. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big fashion guy. Like I, I love shoes and I love clothes in general. And clothes can be a very wasteful <laughs> uh, spending thing. Yeah. So um, <laughs> early on, I struggled with that a lot. Um, and then eventually, as I got older, I got myself into debt. Got a, I got a credit card for the first time. And I was pretty good about never. Like people would say, hey, do you want to open this account? No. I was pretty good about that at first. And then I said, yes. I, don't, uh-huh. I was probably 24, 25 at the time. I said, yes. And then the spending became much more out of control at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a very, com- combined that experience with my corporate working experience, and I had a very bad taste in my mouth about capitalism and money as a whole. Um, I saw what I felt like was a tremendous amount of corporate greed, um, and I saw how money was affecting me by not having it uh, or not understanding it. And I felt like my reaction was to push it all as far away as possible. So meeting Alicia um, really was going to ultimately challenge the heck out of that concept because Alicia is a hoarder. She, and money-wise, she is a, I'm going to spend as little as possible. I'm going to be as frugal as possible. We need to make sure we have this in savings and that in savings. Um, And you need to understand how money can ultimately work for you. Um, and so we had to have some really hard conversations about how I viewed money and how I viewed capitalism as a whole. Um, and she, you know, helped me with books and things that she had read. Uh, and so I started reading and I started learning. And then we kind of built a plan together, how to get me out of this hole, basically. Um, and so it took about seven years. Uh, my, my credit score when I was 21 was probably somewhere in the mid 700s, like 720 to 750. I was really proud of that. But once I said yes to that credit card, it all went down from there. 
I think at the time we decided to actively work towards repairing that, it was somewhere in the high fours. Yeah. And so it was something that we had to be very intentional about. And, you know, of course I appreciate her because she loved me through it. You know, she didn't, she didn't judge me for being in the position that I was. Uh, but I also think she knew how capable I was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as like him, I grew up with a single mother. The messaging that I got as a child was never rely on a man. So the, um, the conversation around money in my household was less about do we have it and do we not have it. It was more about where it came from, sources to get it from, and then I guess a little bit more on what to do with it when you do have it. And my mom, I think, talked to us less formally about it. But like I said, the the, the general conversation was rely on yourself and, you know, earn your own money, keep your own bank accounts. Don't, you know, don't let anybody else have access to it. And that was a result of her experience in life, which as I got older, I understood. But when I'm consuming that message as a young person, you know, I'm hearing one thing, which is, you know, do it yourself, earn your own money, make your own way. Don't let anybody have access to it. And so as I, as we got older, um, I, I maintained that. And so it was my finances, my money, you know, my income, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then his, what he just explained. And when you hold the two against each other, they, they started to look very different. Mm -hmm. And I started to understand for me that money was actually a core value and more specifically like financial security, having, you know, X amount in a bank or having X amount in so many different buckets or accounts and having each of those earmarked for very specific needs. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt security by having a bunch of money sitting in a bank. And a bunch of money, quote unquote, is relative. You know, when I was when I was in college, I had a CD that was a thousand dollars, and I thought I was loaded. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so I, when I say a bunch of money, you know, it like I said, it's relative. But when we started having more serious conversation about joining our lives together through marriage, this was a hard stop for me. And it was less about where is your credit score? And it was more about uh, what are your spending habits? And he was making really good money for himself, but he was spending just as much as he was making. And I, I admittedly, like, I didn't understand credit. He has taught me way, way more about credit than I ever knew. I just was a make money, hold cash, hoard, you know, put it all, it has to be liquid. Um, and you know, even from a savings, like and an investment, like we've learned a lot of that together. So it, it was kind of a, a hard line in the sand from our relationship perspective of, I need to see these habits improving and I need to see a, uh, deterioration of these desires in order for me to really feel secure about not even combining our finances, but going into 
you know, a, a combined relationship that allowed us to at some point maybe join our finances. And we were married for several years before we ever had a shared bank account. Um, you know, there was things that I took care of. There were things that he took care of. And it took time for me to build trust in him that if the money that we conjoined were made available to each other, that it wouldn't get spent the way I had seen the habits. Mm-hmm. And it did. It remedied itself. He he now has a far better credit score than I do. Um <laughs> Because he has a longer history of credit. And and those are one of those areas I just wasn't exposed to. But we've come a long ways in healing that within our own individual. I now am at a place where I don't feel like I just have to rely on myself. I know that I can give him access to our to my accounts. We share finances, things like that. So I've had healing on my own. He's had healing on his own that has gotten us to a place where it is a lot healthier to discuss finances and we know where each of us stands on it uh, i mean i just now put it together i know her history obviously i know how that psychology of don't trust a man but i never actually like i actually managed the money in the, in the house mostly and so for her to have grown up with that mindset and for her to still like trust me it speaks to her growth but it also speaks to mine which is great yeah um, uh, yeah, I was saying, we do have a joke in our relationship that I make the money and he spends the money. <laughs> we say the same exact thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you say the exact same thing. So yeah. how was that conversation at first? Like, Maurice, were you like, um, by the way, I'm X amount in debt? Or how did that like, did you just find a bill or like, how did that go down? No, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, I I think when we kind of were settling down, if that makes sense, there was just conversations in general about where we're at. When we first lived together, this was what? 2009. Mm -hmm. So when when we first moved in together in 2009, I just feel like those kind of conversations have to be had. This is where I'm at and this is my situation. Um, We were... I think also she saw like habits and stuff that I still hadn't broken. And so of course that brings up questions too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think you just, again, I, I, there's just something within both of us that we both really like to learn and we want to evolve and become the best version we can be. So again, I'm seeing her habits and I'm seeing how that affects her life and comparing that to mine and she's seeing mine in the same as like, well, we can't just, not talk about this like it's glaringly obvious that i am not managing my money well uh at the same time i had already had that credit card debt that just went out of control so yeah we're trying to talk about well how are we even going to address this and uh, at that time i had that really harsh view about money so it was pretty much right now i'm not even worried about it i'm not thinking about it and so i i believe it was just her trying to be as patient with me as possible to understand that at some point it will evolve and change and again for her i think she knew that well this is a non-starter so it's got to change or or... (laughs) yeah i remember it kind of happening in phases Mm -hmm. where i don't know if there was ever one point where we just put it all on the table of like okay tell me every single bill and every single amount uh because my own naivete so i wasn't exposed to credit cards i wasn't exposed to like financing everything for me was like you buy it in cash. If it's not on a debit card, you can't pay for it. Then you don't own it, you know? Right. And so 
I think that I wouldn't have even had a full comprehension if he had listed out the different things. But the way I remember it is that the first thing was we need to stop overspending. So when the new Jordans get released, like you have to restrain yourself, right? <laughs> and it, for me, it wasn't a, because that need, that money needs to go to a credit card bill. It was just, you need to, you need to pull in the spending. Then maybe the credit card bills got brought up and at that point, it was a decision on his end to, okay, let me try to attack these. And it was probably through a conversation of me saying, what do you mean you have, I don't even remember what the amount was, several thousand dollars. Like, I, I can't even make sense of that. Like, I don't even, I literally don't yeah. know what that means. Like, yeah. what do you mean that there's a balance of $6,000 just sitting out there with something like you just bought a hundred dollar pair of shoes. Give the person who you owe $6,000, your hundred dollars. Like, <laughs> um, and so I think that that was maybe a little bit of motivation for him. And then I think it snowballed of like, well, once you pull in the spending, once you get the credit card under control, then you can, you know, whether it's the car note or whatever it is. Uh, and, and to his credit, like it never slid back in that direction. Uh, it never got back to a place where he was running that up again. It really, you know, he changed that habit. And I don't know if it was a result of me drawing a line in the sand or just he wanted differently for himself. Those were, to, again, to his credit, he was put in situations in his young 20s where he had to spend on credit or, you know, things would come up, a tire blew and he didn't have the cash for a new tire. So he's putting it on a credit card. So it's not as wasteful as it seems, but in my opinion, it was like, well, you probably would have had the money for the tire if you hadn't gotten those pairs of Jordans or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think the meeting the resistance, like someone who thought differently and at, at like hitting some a wall, like, oh, yeah. maybe I shouldn't be doing this. It did get me to set, like, think about what I was doing. and Was that beneficial to anyone? Mm -hmm. uh, but then I also, I do give credit to a, a musician actually that I followed. His name was Ryan Leslie. And he's just a, an artist I really respected. And in one of the uh, interviews I had seen of his, he talked about how he started his life uh, as an adult in a lot of debt. And it took him seven years. Like that was his thing. Like, it took me seven years to get out of this. And so I feel like at least I had an example like, you know what I mean? I had mm -hmm. somebody who had been through this that I could say, okay, I can use you as a benchmark. So in my head, it was seven years. Like, it's going to take me seven years to get through this. I have to have a plan. How am I going to attack this? And it actually took just under. It yeah, like I think it was like six and a half or something. So that's yeah. crazy. Like, I talked about it on my first podcast. When I graduated from college, I was in six figures of debt, like credit card debt, student loan debt, all the things. And it took me seven years. To get out yeah. of it too. Yeah. So it must yeah. be like the the pain point yeah. number. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, for the credit to fully be repaired and to to feel like you can move on, like that's not a shadow that's yeah. lingering anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be like one piece of financial advice you would give someone? And you can each have different, obviously. Yeah. What? Yeah. Start a business. Start a business. Great. It's actually a solid. And again, I, it's it's so general that it might not sound like sound advice. And it's certainly not for everybody per se. But the beauty about starting a business is that it starts to force your hand 
in how you strategically think about money. Yep. Mm -hmm. It makes you pay attention. Right. You have to pay way more attention when your whole livelihood or your whole business might fail because of some decision that you are making or not making. Mm-hmm. It just starts to make you view your relationship to money and money differently. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's one of the beauties about business ownership is mm-hmm. that it creates that. And these habits, it's not a, it's, they don't happen in a vacuum, right? right. It's like, if, if you're really big on health and you go work out all the time, that strength that you develop, it transfers to other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the same thing when you develop a new, a renewed relationship to money, that starts to show in other areas. And for me, that was huge, right? Seeing her start a business in 2012, seeing how that started to affect our lives and strategically figuring out, well, how are we going to do this, this, and this? I started taking all of those lessons and applying them to our personal life. Yeah. Like, how are we going to do this? Okay, what's the goal for here? I was never that kind of person prior. Yeah. You just start to see how these decisions are actually benefiting you which is ultimately why we started coaching people. We just wanted to see, we want you to see this kind of life-changing perspective in your own life yeah. because it will literally change the trajectory. Like it, it's so, it, it sounds so simple. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say, just start a business and your whole life will change. Yeah, Obviously, right. there's way more to it than that. But that is what happened for us. We were already headed towards a certain direction, but starting a business put accelerant all over it. Yeah. And so, and now I feel like that flame is burning real hot. Yeah. When we started to understand how tax code was written and we started to experience the benefits of self-employment and more specifically business ownership in terms of write-offs and deductions and tax credits, it felt like it felt like a life hack. Like one yeah. of those things, like oh, you see it on the internet, like what's something that feels illegal, but actually is, is legal? Business ownership is what is that for us because there is so much that is available to you tax-free mm-hmm. that it, it feels like it should be illegal and it's not. And yeah. it, it was like, once we started tapping into that, it was a secret that we couldn't keep to ourselves. We we had to tell as many people as possible <laughs> and then help them try to figure out, well, what could your business be? Because, you know, that this is for us, this is the path to wealth. This is yeah. the path to, to financial freedom. It, it has been for us and it feels like something that we can't keep to ourselves. Yeah, to be clear too, like it wasn't easy. As I told you, my relationship to capitalism was not healthy. And I I, I still have a, a pretty large cynicism towards it uh, because I feel like the system has kind of built it to allow for this greed that we see to flourish. However, so it was very hard for me. Like I was seeing it as, oh, we're doing what these corporations are doing, right? And I had to learn like that's like the learning is so key to all of this. Like I had to learn what are the laws? What is okay? I am a rule follower mm-hmm. to a T. Like I do not want to go outside the line. So mm-hmm. I have to learn what the rules are. What can we do? How does it allow? And then when I saw how these, it was benefiting us, it was like, we've got to help everybody else. Right. They have to know too. Like, so it's he- not greed if you're helping everyone else. Well, and it's also not greed when, when you're, you're when you're doing yeah. it by the book. It's legal, you know. Like it's 
this, we're using the same tools and techniques that everybody else that gets ahead in life uses. And we're not taught these things. We're not exposed to them. But once you kind of pull back the curtain, you can't unsee it. And now like anything we look at, any person we talk to, it's like, we see the business opportunity and the write-off and the tax. We're not even tax people. I can only imagine how your guys' brain works. (laughs) I, I see your videos of like, the candles, the scents, the, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was at Target buying it myself. Yeah. I didn't get my office. Um, <laughs> but it's things like that, that like, what, what do you mean that I could just write that off? And again, like, yes, you have to make money in your business. You have to be putting an effort towards actually making sales. You can't just go on a shopping spree at Target and call it a quote unquote write off. Mm. We're being very general here, but yeah. for us, hands down, business ownership has been the path to financial freedom and the development of wealth. Yeah. And, and now you just made help with that too. Yes. Yeah. And now that you guys are parents, what mm-hmm. do you want your kiddo or kiddos to know about wealth and business? And like, what are the money mindset like you want them to grow up with? Mm. Yeah, I think I, for me, it's just a balance, right? You just like, obviously, when you have children, you want them to, quote unquote, experience better than what you had. You want them to be able to access more than what you had. At the same time, as you know, as adults, we build more wealth. You don't want it to create a situation where there's like entitlement or mm-hmm. uh, being so it's, it's a balance of the perspective of money is a tool. Mm-hmm. A tool that you can leverage to benefit you and your life, and then of course serve other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like anything, right? If you put too much weight into it, it will consume you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like I said before, my relationship with it it consumed me in a not so positive way. Uh, and so I had to to learn to appreciate that it could do good. And like if I participated in capitalism that I could do good from that space. So that's like, I want Tatum to know that she can do good. Like people may perceive her, like we talk about this all the time. We drive a Tesla, right? And she, Tatum knows nothing else. Our parents drive Tesla, both of us drive Tesla. (laughs) She's like, that's the only car. Right. Right. That's the only car she knows. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, so people's perception of you, of, of Tatum at some point, might just be that she's spoiled or rich or something like that. And it's like, it at the end of the day, it's about who you are and how you treat people. Yes. And that, like, that's, I think, balancing how you view money with ultimately how you're treating people matters more yeah. is the lesson that I want to make sure we impart. Because no matter what you can access or what rooms you can get in as a result of having money, it still comes down to how you treat people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. Okay, rapid fire question time. Sure. Can't think about it too much. Okay. So what's your next BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal? Double our revenue for our consulting company. Maurice? Um, I think own, I would like to own multiple investment properties. Okay. By next year, by the end of next year. That's my goal. Okay. Top morning routine, like activity. 
I'm not a big morning routine person. I said it. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a huge morning routine person either, but I've been forcing myself into those habits. So right now um, it's definitely either like I've been doing this athletic green stuff. So trying to force myself to consume that, wait 30 minutes, then drink my coffee or get my workout in. Just trying to find a balance of that. Uh, especially now that our, our work scares, like life schedule, I guess has changed a little bit, just trying to find the balance of that. So I've been trying to force myself into a routine in the morning, just because, uh, like a, the time that I have in the morning isn't the same. Yeah. So if you won the lottery today, would you take the lump sum or payments over 20 years? <laughs> I think lump sum so that I can invest it. Right. I always think that I would do the uh, payments over 20 years. And the reason is more because it assures that I'm going to have this income and I can kind of plan. I knew for that it. was going to be both of your answers. Right. <laughs> right. And I can work with that. Like I can invest what I have and, and create a budget and plan based on that. The, um, the, the tax obligation of that lump sum too. Is, is the same as if you take it over 20 years, well, inflation can change. Laws can change. Yeah. Not, they can also change not in your favor. Give me my money. I will take care of it from there. Thank you. Either way, I'm, I would be upset. <laughs> okay. What's one thing in your house that's like super old, you need to replace it, but you haven't? Mm. For, for me, it's probably a coat. To be honest, I, I, I love coats and I don't get to wear them that often in Arizona, but right. uh, <laughs> I coll- I've collected them over time and now I've had some that I probably have for five or seven years. And it's like, maybe it's time, but it, I feel like it's still in great condition and I love them. So I keep it. <laughs> it would probably be maybe like a piece of jewelry, like costume jewelry yeah. from college or something that has some nostalgic memory associated with it that has no actual value and <laughs> the memory is here not in the item but yeah. i keep the item because i'm a nostalgic person <laughs> all right so where can our listeners find you my instagram is at it's alicia mp so i-t-s-a-l-i-s-h-a-m-p and mine is at the Maurice P. So T H E M A U R I C E P. Yeah, and our website is PenningtonPerspective.com. Yeah, long last name, but we love it. P E N N I N G T O N Perspective.com. Yes. So if you're needing any help in business or SWOT analysis, yep. go to them. I see your guys' SWAT stuff on Instagram all the time. I'm like, yes, everyone needs that. Yay! <laughs> it is the tool we leverage for no matter who we work with, small client, big client, we start with a SWAT. Start with a SWAT every so single time. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank I appreciate you your time. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time. Yeah.